Welcome to Blue Collar Love, the Starflyer 59, Jason Martin Extravaganza. My name is Samuel. And my name is Aaron. And today we have a special guest with us, the small business manager, the entrepreneur, the magician from Philadelphia, Scott Hatch. Welcome, Scott. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be We're here. Su- We're super excited, Scott. Um, We've talked to a couple people who have actually brought you up, and they're like, man, Scott Hatch is an amazing person. You guys got to talk to him. So like, awesome. okay, we're putting this on our list. Cool. Well, I'm a, a live person that's willing to talk. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so for maybe those who don't know, um, maybe your name doesn't sound as familiar, um, what's your connection to Starfire 59, Jason Martin, all that jazz? Sure, sure. So I, uh, I run the label Burnt Toast Vinyl, and over the years, I've, I've released several of the Starflyer albums on vinyl. So, you know, initially, uh, the fashion focus and everybody makes mistakes in conjunction with Cloud and Velvet Blue Music um, in the 90s. And then um, in the 2000s era, um, I did uh, the Portuguese Blues one-sided LP. Then I did the vinyl for Talking Voice versus Singing Voice. Um, the Ghosts of the Future, Seven Inch Box Set, um, Dial M, and then uh, the Changing of the Guard, all, all on vinyl. So, Man, I bet... how did you get? How, how... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead, Sam. Go ahead. My apologies. Mm. I just, I was just going to say, I bet those vinyls are probably going for pretty high prices nowadays. Yeah, you can, you could make a very substantial down payment on a house if you sold those albums you just listed right now. I'm not even yeah, joking. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, the, the fashion focus and everybody makes mistakes are are long gone. And in fact, I want to say I gave the last copy I had of the fashion focus uh, to to Cheek, who um, does flannel, flannel graph records. In, uh, oh, okay. I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar yeah. with them. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So how did you get hooked up with Jason and Jeff and all those people to even be able to put out those records? Yeah, I guess, I mean, I might have said hi to Jason when I saw uh, Starflyer at Cornerstone. But then, um, so when I went to uh, college, I went to Drexel University in Philadelphia. And I started to, to book shows um, at the university for, for bands that I liked. I was a member of the college radio station, had like a radio show and, and you know, kind of integrated into to music and things um, on campus. And I ended up doing a show with Starflyer and the prayer chain, I think in the summer of 1995, um, when they were kind of uh, doing uh, touring for Le Vancour, um, you know, leading up to gold. Um, and so I would have met um, Jason for sure and, and Cloud um, at that show. And then, you know, later on, they, they ended up playing um, back at Drexel on, on the gold tour. That was like, you know, kind of a, a, a headlining show for them and kind of a bigger deal. Um, you know, and then I guess, you know, over the years, um, anytime they would have played in Philadelphia, um, if they weren't going to Atlantic City, um, they would they would stay um, at my house, you know, and sometimes too around like the Purple Door Festival, they would they would stay at my house, um, you know, and I, I continued to set up shows for them um, even after I graduated. So, you know, I did I did one at like Eastern University. We had this um, this art gallery for a little while that my friend ran and we had a, a few shows there and uh, Josh Tillman opened up for um Starflyer for one of the shows uh, who, you know, later became Father John Misty and is all super famous now. But yeah, he was uh, he was not. God, he keeps coming up. He, he keeps he keeps coming up in these interviews. This is weird. Man, it's crazy. Sorry. Tillman is always there. Yeah. <laughs> nice. 
that is a lot of cool history. Um, and we're definitely going to be revisiting some of it here in a minute to ask a little bit about how Tur- Burnt Toast started. Sure. But um, just kind of circling back to Starflyer, um, of all those vinyls you listed, I think Ghosts of the Past, um, or Ghosts of the Future, technically, was your part, is probably yeah. one of the most ambitious sets you did. Sure. So how did this come about? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I was always really interested in, in doing... Um, I guess more interesting and complicated releases. So, you know, like I did a, a Mount Erie um, live triple LP in a, like a, a triple gatefold sleeve. So that was kind of a, a big deal. Or Unwet Sailors, um, Marionette and the Music Box, we did these uh, hardbound books that we got printed up in, in Iceland. So that, you know, took a lot of work to kind of, you know, figure something like that up. And so I'd always kind of been intrigued by the idea of a seven inch series. I, I feel like, you know, like Sub Pop always had their like seven inch series. And it always seemed like kind of an interesting concept to be able to to find a band that would be willing to do it, but not, you know, so big that they would sell out immediately, but big enough that they could actually support like some kind of subscription. Um, so, you know, that was kind of always in the back of my head. And so um, I guess at the time I was thinking of the idea, I had a, I had a girlfriend in Chicago and, and we would hang out with, um, like Horton when, when he lived in Chicago and we, you know, sometimes we would just like kind of riff on, on weird ideas. And I think, you know, one of the times we were hanging out, I, I, I started talking about like the idea of a seven inch series and, you know, we sort of riffed on it a bit and, you know, kind of fine tuned uh, that idea. And I think that was kind of like the birth of, of the idea. So that would have been probably, I think um, the fall of 2005. And so I think I ended up emailing Jason um, at some point. I was looking at my emails last night, so I know some of these dates. But um, I emailed him in, like, late November, like, probably around Thanksgiving time in 2005. And he sort of wrote back, and he was interested. But, you know, in in typical Jason fashion, he's, like, pretty low-key, and he's just not sure he wants to commit to, like, all of the work. Though Jason does do a lot of demos for his records. I mean, that's kind of his, his work process, you know, where he would, you know, kind of demo songs and kind of, you know, build them up and you know, as part of the recording process. So, you know, it kind of, it does kind of make sense for his work workflow. It's not like, you know, uh, double work to, you know, cut demos if he wasn't going to do them. But yeah, that's, that's kind of a normal part of, of that process. Um, and so, you know, we were kind of uh, talking about that. Um, and then it was just sort of simmering away. He was in the middle of doing uh, My Island. And actually, as a, as a, a weird side note, I think I, I messaged Aaron about this yesterday, but um, Jason uh, wanted to do the vinyl for My Island himself, so we talked a little bit about how he would, you know, kind of be able to do that, but I, I guess that really never came to be. Um, but then I guess once uh, My Island came out, he was, you know, looking towards the next record, and that's when he sort of uh, picked up that, you know, conversation again about the seven inches. So, um, like, February 2007 is when we really got the the ball rolling again, and then it got, like, you know, really fast. We started talking to Tooth and Nail to make sure it was okay. We kind of drew up a little contract to make sure that, you know, I could do kind of a one-off um, final release and, you know, what those terms would be, like, you know, how we would kind of go about, you know, setting that up. And everyone there was really cool about it, but, you know, we just wanted to have that sort of agreement in, in place. Um, and then it was sort of, you know, off and running to kind of uh, work on on the scope. I think initially I, I had pitched like, uh, 12 seven inches and maybe I even tried to throw in a a baker's dozen 13 for the box set and then Jason kind of whittled that back to the the 10 seven inches that it ended up being um so you know that was sort of the 
the concept. And then always the concept was that the A side would be demos for the new record and that the B side would be, um, you know, covers or one-off songs that wouldn't appear in other places. Like, you know, something, something special for the fans. Um, you know, and, and the idea of it being a subscription, I mean, you know, the, the Starflyer, uh, you know, fan universe, there's a, there's a lot of naysayers and doubters. And so I, I always liked the idea that basically the price would kind of increase um, as each seven inch came out. So when we, I think initially launched it, it was $59.59, um, including postage on colored vinyl um, for early subscribers. And then you know, we increased the price like five or ten dollars with you know each each new seven inch that rolled out. Um, and then I think finally at the end it was like maybe it was seventy fifty nine, and it was on on black vinyl at that point. Um, so you know we had this kind of doubters tax, if you will. If you didn't believe in in Burntos vinyl and the, the history we had with Starflyer, or, or thought we were going to run off with your money or, or be scam artists, you know that that was fine. Um, but you could just you know end up paying more for it. Uh, <laughs> in the future that was kind of that that idea um and we ended up like doing pretty well i think with uh with subscriptions like kind of out of the gate people were kind of interested in it so that that was you know kind of an exciting thing um i think one of the things that really tied it together um my my friend will stickter who is high my industries um he he was also in um saxon shore and is in the ambient band soporus um he uh, was interested in kind of uh, doing the design work for for the box set. And I'd always liked the idea of like printing on kind of plain cardboard or, or craft paper, similar to like, you know, uh, shellacs at Action Park, you know, kind of that, you know, simple artwork on, you know, kind of a simple paper to kind of give it like kind of a classy, uh, classy design. And we worked through a, a couple of concepts until we kind of got the, the final plan. So we would have, you know, basically the, the 10 different covers uh, really form a giant image, but the individual covers would look interesting enough to kind of stand on their own as like kind of high context or high concept uh, art. And so uh, Will and uh, two of his friends, they uh, silk screened and, and letter pressed those, those covers for the seven inches. And, I, you know, I think that all, uh, you know, turned out um, pretty good. Um, you know, kind of reading through the emails last night, um, it seemed like Jason and I were, we were really worried about uh, a few things. One was quality of, of everything to make sure that it was top notch and it was done correctly. But then also making sure that all the subscribers were happy, which, you know, it isn't always uh, easy to keep Starflyer fans happy, especially when you've committed to deadlines and you're dealing with vinyl pressing or dealing with printers and trying to keep things on track. And then also, you know, early on, I think Jason had... I want to say the first four or five, seven inches ready to go, but like getting the rest of them kind of finished um, and ready to go took, took a little bit of work. So, you know, just keeping him um, on task and, and delivering those seven inches on deadline was like kind of an interesting part of it. The, the big mystery for a long time too was we knew this was going to have to have some kind of box. We had promised that and we were just trying to figure out, you know, how to get that made. And so, you know, I had found some specialty printers um, and they would basically do like, you know, like a full color glassy, glossy wrap around a cardboard box, which is, which is okay. You know, it would kind of look like a box that greeting cards come in or, or you know, something like that. Um, and then I guess secretly Canadian had done a Magnolia electric company CD box set. And then they, they had also been involved in a table of the elements, like, CD release in, in a box and probably through like, like cheap 
um, who worked at Secretly Canadian or, or maybe some of my other friends there, we, we figured out who they used to get those uh, CD boxes done. And I kind of drew up some specs and got, got some quotes. And it seemed like like a pretty good price. So it seemed like a viable way to, to do like an actual wooden box for the release. And once we sort of um, had that idea, we kind of continued to go with uh, with that idea. And I ended up finding a cigar box company in the Dominican Republic that did, you know, custom boxes um, with, you know, sort of branding or emb embossing in the wood, um, you know, for the, for the covers. And that's really when the, everything came together. Um, to, you know, kind of have our, our final box. So I think the box really brings uh, the entire project together, you know, and the artwork on the box kind of mimics, uh, you know, some of that overall uh, larger design that, you know, Will had come up with. Um, so, wow. yeah, I think, I think that's, that's most, of, most of the story um, for the box set. I, there's probably some details I missed. I, I don't know, do you guys have any uh, questions? We, yeah, we need a documentary for this, but, uh, yeah, that's all great. Um, and I mentioned um, before um, uh, the previous podcast that for me, I have a lot of vinyl records and the Ghost of the Future box set is the coolest release, I think, um, oh, package-wise. Awesome. Package -wise. Oh, and awesome. I love it. And I listen to it possibly, it's probably the Starfire um, record I listen to the most. I don't mind flipping over after every song. Some people, <laughs> some people are lazy. <clears throat> Sam, bless his heart, but I don't yeah. mind that at all. And but I, when you were going through that whole story, I noticed like when we talked to Wayne Everett, Mark Solomon, Jeff Cloud, all these people, you all go by last names. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. with that, Scott. What's up with that? Yeah, I mean that. That's I think that's sort of the rules of the Starflyer universe, right? So it's it's always been Cloud. Um, you know, like I said, Horton. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, Jed were keys. He's always been keys. Um, you know, it's like we're in, uh, you know, junior high and, and we're at, in PE class or, um, you know, on a sports team or something. Everybody's by their last name. And that that really comes directly from from Cloud and, and Martin, like kind of naming people that way. Um, yeah, it's, it's just the way it is. You know, some people don't always uh, fall into that. There's a few exceptions. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part in, in that universe, everybody's by their last name. And I think, you know, as those guys have toured with different bands, like, you know, actually one, one name that comes to mind, it's always been Dirk. It's not, uh, you know, Dirk's uh, last name, um, you know, from Stavesacre. Um, Lemus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe because his last name is a little harder to say. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and Joey, and Joey, Joey, he goes by Squeebs, right? That's not even his name. Oh, yeah, he's Squeebs, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, it's, uh, like, they call uh, Campuzano, they call him Cupid, um, which is sort of related. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of the army. I was in the army, and we would just go by last names, and it was something. A last name was re like remotely hard. They just got a nickname. <laughs> Starfire <Absolutely>. Army. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, you know, um, and I, I'll say, you know, one one maybe exception that I'm also thinking of, uh, David Reynolds. Um, sometimes he he goes by the last name Reynolds, but um, he in the universe is often called Blue Star because he was kind of the uh, uh, Blue Star Journal uh, email list. Uh, administrator so you know who, uh, a lot of folks refer wait, to wait who, who okay who's david reynolds and what's blue star do you know this sam i don't i've never heard these oh, oh this is this is old this is school. yeah yeah old school okay so let's let's do a little, little tangent here so i want to okay. say 
1996, when, when Cloud started uh, Velvet Blue Music, um, he started what he called uh, the Blue Star Army. Um, and the idea was, um, you know, super fans in, in different cities, they would sign up to be uh, like a rep in their city. And their goal might be like if Starflyer was coming to town that they would, you know, commit to putting up posters in record stores or handing out flyers or, you know, letting people know about the show. Um, so like I would I would have been like the Philadelphia contact for the the Blue Star Army. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe this is where some of the stuff comes from, too, because like Cloud would always like he would write me letters as General Hatch, um, you know, initially. So he would he would call everybody general. So it was like because we were in the army. Um, and then uh, I do remember this now talking to Jeff now this the, the Blue Star Army. Yeah. But go ahead. Continue. Yeah. Mm. It was like in the, uh, the early days of um, like, you know, text based emailing. And so there was like basically, you know, a long email list where in like real time people could like, you know, uh, email the list and like start a conversation and people could reply, reply to the thread. So, you know, Starflyer topics or you know, uh, Lassie Foundation or, you know, the new uh, Velvet Blue 7 Inches that were coming out or, you know, what, whatever whatever was happening or, you know, maybe even related topics like, you know, maybe maybe folks would talk about, you know, the prayer chain or, you know, I, I don't even know, like other bands that like Starflyer was on, on tour with, you know, you know, rumors about, you know, Lee and Jason, that, that kind of stuff. I like, I really love the, the sense of community all this history brings. And um, I feel like one of the really cool things about vinyl is it's like a real community thing, oddly. Like, it's something that you can only have personally in your own home. But I've seen so many people on the internet just bonding over owning vinyl, buying vinyl, collecting it, etc. Um, so with all that even said, ta- even ta- Even Taylor Swift fans are bonding over it. <laughs> it's like a thing. <laughs> just, I think it's just having that physical, tangible item to, to bond over. So with all that said, tell us about starting Burnt Toast. Um, oh, sure, the, sure. The, yeah. All this community um, and stuff. How did it all work? Yeah, so like like I said, I had been doing um, shows at Drexel, um, and, and I would end up meeting a lot of uh, local bands. Like, you know, we would have bands that would need to open up for, you know, the different, different shows that would come through. Um, and so I decided that I was going to start – a record label and I was going to do uh, two live seven inches. And, and those are really the initial releases on burnt toast vinyl. So that's um, like summer of 1996. And I had, I had gotten some scholarship money my senior year, like kind of after I had already paid my, my uh, room and board uh, for that semester. So like basically I was all paid up and then I got these scholarships. So it was basically just like free money. And I was like, Oh, well I'll just use that to, to make the seven inches. And, and so that's really the the start of, a burnt toast vinyl and then pretty pretty soon after those That's seven amazing. inches yeah, pretty much uh, after the seven inches were done um i was good friends with um huntington's and we basically stole the masters for rocket to ramonia from uh, flying tart and then we put that out as like the first cd that i had done <laughs> breaking the law breaking the law <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like uh Al- alex parker from flying tart he uh he didn't want to he didn't want to license all of the songs um you know, like properly. Um, and so he felt really bad about releasing a CD like that. And I was like, Oh, I'll do it. We'll do it all punk rock. We'll just do it. And if we get caught, we'll, you know, whatever, pay the, pay the royalties then. Um, and, you know, did a, did a run of a thousand and they, they sold pretty quick. Um, Huntington's were like pretty popular. And I think, um, I don't know, know that we had them ready for 
cornerstone, but we definitely had them that summer. And then I remember going to Tom Fest um, in the fall of 1996 and like, you know, seeing Cloud there and talking a lot about, um, you know, record label stuff. And, and we talked then about him doing uh, Huntington 7-inch, which, you know, eventually came out on, on Velvet Blue, probably uh, 97. Um, it would have come out, I guess, maybe, maybe 98. I, I can't remember. But yeah, we, we had talked about that then. Um, so that that's really kind of the start. And then, you know, for the longest time, it was just like kind of small local bands that I would do records for. And then I was uh, I was friends with Dennis and Whitmer, and um, he had done the Riverbends EP on Velvet Blue, and he was trying to figure out what to do next. And he was talking a lot about recording budgets and how he's going to come up with the money to record it. And I just sort of offered to, to pay for the record. So that's, that's when, uh, I guess the record label got a little more serious because Dennison was like really interested in touring. He wanted to do like, you know, get like a publicist and we needed to get distribution. So like at that point, that's when the label kind of, you know, becomes like a, a, a big label or a real label or a big label is not the right word. Like, you know, an actual label with distribution and bands on tour and that, that sort of thing. It sounds like starting a little, uh, record label with um vinyls was uh, kind of like starting a podcast nowadays just you know that's what you did well it, you know it, it is kind of weird because like in that era um no no one wanted records um so you're you're making a statement um by doing seven inches where it was like a very punk rock thing um you know people in in this scene other than cloud weren't really doing seven inches like if you if you would have gone to like you know cornerstone like very few bands had vinyl. Um, maybe a couple had seven inches. No one was doing like, um, you know, you know, LP releases of their full lengths. Like it was, you know, a harder thing to kind of come by. Um, you know, Tooth and Nail, um, they they tried it early on. Like, you know, they did they did gold on vinyl and they did Americana on vinyl. And then I sort of got like, you know, an I don't know an early. Uh, chance to do vinyl when Huntington's High School Rock was at the pressing plan and Tooth and Nail had decided they didn't want to do vinyl anymore so I just like took over the project and that that ended up becoming like my first like full vinyl um, you know release that I did and then since Tooth and Nail wasn't interested in doing vinyl releases they were you know willing to license records so that's when you know Cloud and I did Fashion Focus and Everybody Makes Mistakes so that was like kind of a nice way to kind of you know, help bands get vinyl out there. And, you know, I think a, a lot of us sort of looked at vinyl releases as being like a real band when, you're, when your um, band had vinyl, even though it was like hard to sell. So this isn't a day where like, you know, a CD might be, you know, 12 or 15 bucks, but then vinyl records were, you know, $10 or, you know, they, they would be too expensive. Or you had to do things like you needed to have um, bonus tracks or, you know, extra things, which is why uh, Fashion Focus and Everybody Makes Mistakes have a bonus 7-inch because we thought it would be almost impossible to sell those without without extras, which is which is really crazy to think about now when, like, you know, there are Starflyer fans that'll pay, you know, three or four hundred bucks for those records. But, like, back then at... On at the low end. With bonuses, <laughs> no, no one wanted them. <laughs> Okay. All right. Uh, so two, I uh, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, Sam. Like I have two follow-ups to this. <laughs> One, <laughs> how did the name Burnt Toast Vinyl come about? 
And well, second, yeah. well, hold on. Okay, and second one, why do you? Why did you feel so compelled? I know you mentioned the punk rock thing about vinyl release, but why are vinyl releases so important to you? Uh, well, you know, so um, I guess I would say coming coming out of the college radio uh, scene, right? Like we would get like promo seven inches, we get promo LPs, um, you know, and like kind of the the more interesting bands, the cooler bands that they they would often have, you know, vinyl. Um, and it was like kind of the, you know, more mainstream bands that would, you know, send out, you know, CDs to college radio. So, um, you know, I always thought it was like really interesting, like the bands were special when they had vinyl and, you know, like, uh, discord records, right. Like Ian Mackay, like, you know, it's, it's about, you know, selling the vinyl for a reasonable price and, you know keeping everything like DIY, you know, that there's like a real model for that kind of kind of business that I think um, is very compelling. And, you know, there's, there's a real um, ethical um, basis for kind of, you know, doing things yourself, doing them affordable and kind of reaching out to the fans and, you know, in in that way. Um, And then I guess as far as the name burnt toast vinyl goes, um, I guess the, the cheat answer is um, when I was booking shows, um, I had like a little fanzine that I did to advertise the shows and kind of do record reviews and interviews. And I, and I called it Burnt Toast. Um, but, you know, how I named the zine that I, I don't know, I just it was the 90s. It was weird. And I probably just thought that sounded kind of fun. Um, it's one of those things like you look back on it and you end up going through periods of time where you sort of regret it and wish you would change it, but you've spent so much time kind of just putting things out on the label that, you know, it is what it is. And if people want to make fun of it, I, you know, I don't care. <laughs> it's totally unique and I love it. All right. So my final question in this section, and thank you for all this information. Like I, this, I'm just finding this fascinating. <laughs> Me too. Um, <laughs> my mind is blown right now. <laughs> um, which do you prefer? um lps or seven inches oh i i guess um I, i'd be lying if if i didn't say that i prefer lps just just because this like my seven inches are kind of stored separately like they don't they don't fit in the same storage rack the same way as the lps like the lps are really nice their spines all kind of line up and seven inches don't really have Spine. Mine too. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> um, I will go on tears though, where I'll listen to a bunch of seven inches. Oh, the, the other thing I'll add, I've got a, a project turntable and you have to manually change the belt speed from 33 to 45. So it's a real hassle to jump into seven inches because a lot of times um, you have to switch speeds and it's not always clear when you're going to have to do that. So it it's just a uh, whatever first world uh, record guy problems, I guess, happen having to manually change your belt. That right. sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> you are dedicated, man. Wow. So Scott, what is your favorite burnt toast vinyl release? I know they're all your babies and you, you but come on, man, let's be brave. What's yeah, your favorite? Uh, I mean, <sighs> I guess, I mean, it's really hard not to, you know, not to say the um, Ghosts of the Future uh, box set. Um, you better say that. You better yeah, say that. We were, we were so in, involved in, in doing that and just like the way it came together, getting to work with a lot of my friends. I mean, I guess I would say, too, um, 
uh, Foxhole getting uh, nominated for a packaging Grammy, that, that was really freaking cool. Um, and I was, you know, really excited about that kind of uh, coming together. Um, so, you know, that's maybe maybe up there, but that's sort of like a re result of that kind of being out in the world, not so much um, the, the process of Foxhold? That. Wait, hold on. What? Well, okay, Foxhold? That's a, I, I, I don't think I've ever heard of that. Oh. Which, in, which, in which album? Um, it's it's their their most uh, uh, recent album. You're gonna you're gonna ask me the uh, album name. Um, um, hold on. Um, I'll just uh, I'll, I'll Google thing. it later. I'll, <laughs> I'll Google it. Fox Fox Foxhole. Foxhole. Well kept thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and it, it, really nice covers. Um, so, um, Adam in the band he designed the artwork for uh, the LP jacket, and we had them. Uh, printed at Stumptown uh, Printers in uh, Portland. And so they're like really nice, like letter pressed um, covers on specialty, like French paper cover stock. The, the same company that, you know, made the, the Starflyer uh, seven inch uh, cover material. Um, that's sort of my, my go-to preferred uh, paper place, mostly because it's my friend Will's uh, go-to <laughs> uh, paper place. Um, but yeah, we, we use that, um, company to print the covers and then we uh we did uh letterpress inserts uh will and i we own a letterpress in philadelphia um and so will ended up letterpressing all the inserts for that and then we did this really nice um it was clear vinyl with red white and blue um streaks so it was like the american uh vinyl from got a groove in cleveland so just everything was like perfectly designed to match each other so it really came together in a nice way we so ghost of the future and 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 fox with holes well-kept things are your yeah. favorites yeah i'll, I'll yeah. say that Be because mm -hmm. of the the grammy connection because we got to we got to go to the grammys it was fun <laughs> that would be really cool that's like a bucket list thing yeah it was like it, it was like kind of ridiculous and really exciting and yeah it was a, it was a fun weekend <laughs> that's amazing all right, so now that we've named your favorite Burnt Toast vinyl, vinyls, um, and that seems more about packaging and stuff, which makes sense. That's kind of your forte. What yeah. about music? Specifically, since we are a Starflyer 59 podcast, start your favorite Starflyer 59 album and or song. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I, I'd been thinking about this a little bit. Um, I think I might go uh, for for my favorite song. I I think I really like Le Vainqueur, um because I really like it when when Wayne does like kind of the the French phrases and then just like <laughs> yeah the, the way the way that song draws out. I mean, there's something kind of really cool about it. Um, and I don't know, it just like kind of comes together. It's it's like a pretty unique one in their in their catalog, but it also is like kind of fitting. It's the bridge between you know silver and what's to come on gold um so that when that when that um ep came out it was like super exciting um very nice yeah i might i might say like one of one of the other songs i was considering would would be my first heart attack on old just because that wow. breakdown in the middle is so weird and awesome um i i i do really like that one a lot um <laughs> Wait, but oh, okay, okay, cool. But what about your favorite album? I mean, I, I Starflyer uh, album, Starflyer album. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, I probably I like 
different ones for different reasons. So if, if you force me to pick one, I'm going to say silver because it's the first one. Um, but, you know, like, there's so many, like, Starflyer is an interesting band because there's a lot of twists and turns um, in the career. And I spend so much time with the records when they come out, right? You know, so when we're, when I'm doing vinyl for fashion focused or everybody makes mistakes, I mean, I'm listening to those records, like, you know, dozens or hundreds of times, right? You know, just like over and over again, you know, like listening to the, the CDs and in anticipation and then the vinyl comes and I'm listening to test presses and I'm listening to the initial copies and I'm playing it for people. Like, you know, I'm in the, in the middle of those records for a long time. They're, they're you know, they're super important when, when we're doing vinyl. So I, I don't know. I don't know that it's very easy to say like, you know, really what my favorite is, but I'll-, I'll That's I'll fine. To, we'll let y'all- that's fine. Um, uh, the, one, did, the one thing I, I will say, I would mm-hmm. say the one that I have the least experience with is My Island um, because <laughs> it, comes, it comes out in a really weird time. Um, <laughs> um, you're laughing. That's funny. Because that, that's like the most, it seems like that and Portuguese Blues are the, the most contentious albums in the Starfire community. Well, so Portuguese Blues... Um, that's a that's a weird one because we had talked about doing uh, the one sided LP um, for quite a while, and then um, the one sided LP, even though it comes out around the same time as the record, it was actually done long before that full length, and I think it was really the wow the reason why they kind of did a whole full length in that style. I think those guitar songs sounded like doing uh, songs in that guitar rock kind of way again, I think it kind of reinvigorated that idea. And that's when they did uh, Portuguese blues. Um, I, I could be, you know, making up some facts, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that is like, um, you know, one, one of the, the reasons for that existing. Are, do you have any inter- interesting personal stories that you want to share or have with Jason or any other members of Starflyer in the whole last name Starfire Army universe. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's so good. Um, you know, I guess um, one one story I was thinking about. Um, so so Keith was my my roommate in in like ninety eight ninety nine time frame, um, and Starflyer stayed you know a couple of times with us, and I remember one time in particular, Squeebs had um, gone to bed, um, but you know. Cloud, Martin, Keys, and I, we were up just, like, shooting the breeze. And for whatever reason, and so the, the way these guys are when we, when we hang out, there's a lot of, like, riffing over certain topics. And for whatever reason, the topic that night um, was the band Compulsion. And Keys and I, we had not heard of Compulsion. And I think Scottish or Irish um, kind of, you know, alt-rock band, um, kind of alt-rock guitar rock band. Um, and... Jason was so excited to explain to us about compulsion. He was like singing the melodies of some of their songs and like telling us about how weird their lyrics were. And so, you know, this is like dark ages where I've got dial up internet. So we're like online and we're like trying to find anything we can about this band compulsion that, you know, we didn't know anything about. You couldn't, you couldn't really stream audio in that era. Like maybe a certain bands might have snippets of their songs up, but we were just trying to find anything that we could. And I just remember uh, buying a copy of, of that on vinyl from 
you know, some dodgy uh, internet marketplace and like paying money and then just like never getting the record and, you know, continuing to talk to uh, Jason about compulsion for the next like six or eight months until I finally tracked down a, a copy of that record and could finally listen to it. And, you know, that's really one of the reasons why there's a, the mall monarchy uh, cover on uh, ghost of the future. Like I really insisted that he, he do that compulsion cover. Um, but yeah, that, that was, you know, a, a pretty good story. I think of, of us hanging out. Um, you know, there's a, there's a stretch where my, for my day job, I had this weird schedule where I would work um, two days on, two days off, five days on, five days off. So I would get these like long stretches of, you know, days off without having to take vacation. And so a lot of times I would just like, head out to California and hang out with cloud and we would do like, you know, kind of record label stuff. So, you know, we, we would, um, kind of get into, you know, whatever, um, ma mailing out like catalogs or designing stickers or designing buttons or, you know, talking about making records. Like, you know, one of the times we went to, uh, a place where Richard Simpson was, you know, cutting lacquers for one of the Velvet Blue releases. We went to, uh, Bill Smith custom, uh, records, um, to watch them like press records one afternoon. Um, but I remember um, Cloud and his wife, Wendy, uh, their next door neighbor was Daryl Mitchell from Upside Down Room um, and also In a Lonely Place. And we had, we had gone, uh, we were planning to go to this uh, Murder City Devils uh, Super Sucker show. And I remember it was right around the time when there was an indoor smoking ban enacted in Southern California and someone from a cigarette company was out front of the venue. And if you, if you gave them your driver's license, they would hand you five packs of cigarettes um, as you walked into the show. So even though there was a smoking ban, literally like everyone inside the venue is, is smoking um, and murder city devils, like, you know, they're doing their show and they do the whole shtick where the guy's like, you know, he's climbing up the, amplifiers and they set the drum kit on fire which is which is super awesome and then right as when the super sucker <laughs> what? The start, that's crazy oh yeah dude, mercy those are amazing <laughs> but as super suckers are starting not one but two different full-on fist fights erupt in front of us and <laughs> about two or three songs in we decide that uh it's time to go this is a little too rock and roll for us and we uh we called it a night so that's uh that's rock and roll in uh in orange county wow just um i i feel like you could uh, easily write a book <laughs> so good yeah you know and it's it's in that era too where um i convince um cloud to kind of go in on me um to release in a lonely place um on cd and then I end up sort of stealing Jatenderpaw from him and we put out the Wool Inspires together. And then I, you know, I later do uh, the modal lines on my own. So that's kind of all in. in Love Jatenderpaw and in their lonely place, got the new vinyl. This is amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyhow, so yeah, there, I'm sure there's lots of stories from just like hanging out in that era that are just so good, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it. I'll leave it with those, those stories. Sounds like a plan. All right, one last question for this interview portion of tonight. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? Any new projects? Anything you're trying to sell? Just let the all 200 people that listen to us, um, you know, that's 200 more, more people to buy stuff. Sure, sure. Um, so, yeah, I guess I would I would really be pitching um, 
the new UFO overlap land record. Um, and that's my, my friend Christer from Umeå, Sweden. Um, it's his, his kraut rock band. Um, Cloud's been doing uh, some publicity for it, which, which is great. Um, I guess I met Christer in 2000. I had, I had gone on tour um, with the Lionheart Brothers. Um, my friend Rolf was their tour manager. Um, and, and Marcus um, is an old Starflyer uh, fan who's who's in Lionheart Brothers. Um, and we went on tour with um, this band Glory Box from Copenhagen and, you know, who are my, my friends in that band now, uh, Jan, um, Sarah Rubin and Jan Eric, they're, they're all big Starflyer fans as well. But um, yeah, kind of met them on tour and we, we played a bunch of shows together. And Christer's band Soapbox um, was also on the tour they were kind of a refused style uh, punk band. And I think they had licensed, I think, one of their records to Solid State in that era. But yeah, so um, UFO Overlapland does not sound like that. Christer later did kind of a post-rock instrumental band called The Magic Lantern. Um, not to be confused with Magic Lantern, which is Cameron Stallone's uh, um solo project and he's also son of raw and also a, a big starflyer 59 fan if, if we're just name dropping uh, starflyer fans um but anyhow christer um and i you know we go way back and he had sent me uh ufo overlap lands uh, first record that they had done as a cassette and i really liked it um and the brewery that i'm a partner in we would play ufo overlap land like regularly for customers like you know in the space and anytime we would put it on people would just like ask about it and they would just really really like it and so a german label ended up um putting that record out and selling out of the vinyl so i i reissued it um last year and then um this is the the follow-up uh, second record so that's uh that's the exciting new project i'd i'd like to sort of pitch and it's oh, you know God. loosely starflyer related because christer is also a starflyer fan I mean, let's be honest. There, Starflyer is one of those bands that it's not a lot of people's favorite bands, but it's your favorite band's favorite band. <laughs> sure, sure, okay. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight, Scott. We've had a blast listening to you, and we it's look forward amazing. to uh, really amazing uh, dial in with you. Yeah, no, it's been good. Good talking to you too. All right. Well, guys, as always, this has been a Brothers King Media production. Have a good night. Bye.